Welcome to the newly cleansed and refreshed In The Game podcast, where we invite you to transform your dreams into reality. Every week, we aim to touch, move, and inspire you to new possibilities for your life. My name is Sarah Maxwell, and is it really time for me to now intro my own show? Heck no! Bring in the Aussie talent to get it done. With their groundbreaking first season as The Nat and Sarah Show, the foundation has been laid for a life of manifesting your dreams. Join us as we delve into the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to bring those dream boards into reality. It's time to dust off your dreams and get back in the game of life. Are you a member of the community? Head to Facebook and search In The Game Podcast to download your three-step journal to begin the workshop-style teachings and gain exclusive access to your hosts and featured guests. Get ready to take action on your possibility. Today, we continue the conversation with a woman steeped in corporate organizational structure. Ten years ago, Michelle Black was a senior organizational development consultant in Brisbane, but felt she could be making a bigger difference. When she came upon university-level counseling and psychology, she couldn't get enough of it. Focusing initially on stress and anxiety among children and adults in care organizations, she has recently written a children's book called Ellie and the Sunflowers, aimed at soothing anxiety and worry in young people's lives. Using evidence-based tools, the story keeps the learnings external, which allows them to be more easily received by children of diverse abilities. The story of of Emily and her new horse, Ellie, are ideal for these times of isolation where kids may be feeling lonely, confused, unsure, and even anxious. My daughter, my four-year-old and I, read this book together, and I think every kid gets something different from it, you know, whether it's the animals, whether it's the store. My daughter was so concerned, who's Emily, who's Ellie? You know, like when she got that clear, she seemed to be happy. So, The stats say that 6% of children across our population experience anxiety, but I'm going to shift slightly. I hope Michelle's okay with this to, I'm going to lighten the word up slightly. I'm going to call it angst. And the reason I'm going to do that is because I really want to include more kids in this category, because I know that that would include me growing up. And so I hope for moms that you're able to listen in. Don't worry, mom. I don't think it was clinical anxiety, but even if it is, that's okay too. And what I I really want to do is open up that what you've done, Michelle, thank you for sharing, writing this book. And I know you're very passionate about it and we want to understand more and really delve into this story of anxiety for kids in particular. So thank you for being with us. Well, thanks, Sarah. It's always great to connect with you and lovely to see you again. Yeah. Yay. So look, I'm super curious why you chose a girl and a horse to bring forth these scientifically proven techniques. You could have just, you know, submitted a mantra or something to kids, but no, you wrote this beautiful story. So curious, did you grow up with horses and what's your history with this special animal? Yeah, well, actually I, I grew up afraid of horses. Um, so, and, um, the story for me was really looking at my core philosophy um, in helping people to learn and grow, and that is meeting people where they're at. So I'm not a fan of labelling or, you know, kind of having children walking around with labels like, oh, she's shy, he's anxious, he's this, he's that. 
And so for me, being able to um, really think about how do we reach children to learn and grow without them feeling like this is some form of judgment or anything like that. And story is such a fascinating and such a wonderful way to, to bring children along with you. So that was really the, the theme behind the horse. I actually fell in love with horses when my son, who grew up horse mad, never had a horse. And I kept saying, oh, when, when you're 10, when you're 10. And he, when he was nine, he was like, one more year. <laughs> and, oh. and yeah, we, we moved our lifestyle. And uh, soon after Perry was 10, we moved. Uh, we got him doing some, some horse riding lessons initially in Sydney when he was 10. And then when we moved, we found a fantastic coach for him. And at the time, um, he, I would take him to his lessons and, you know, I would think, oh, you know, I just don't, I can't work out why he's so passionate about it. And then after about the second lesson, I felt this like real sense of presence inside my body as I was watching him. Like I was just ever so proud that he was so small and he would be on top of this great big horse, just totally beaming. And it was like he was a different boy at that time um yeah and then the more times i went to the lessons the more present i became and then the more curious i became and it was the curiosity that really kind of drew me into the horses and and watching perry as you know as my son but as this role model who in my mind was just so brave and courageous to be up there riding that horse yeah i asked that question <laughs> Slightly self-serving because the girl mm. that I played beach volleyball with most of my life and a best friend was yes. horse mad. And I always was like, it was transformative for her as well. And she brought me to the horses a couple times and really showed me, she said, you know, with horses, you can't hide, you can't pretend, you can't talk your way out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I felt was quite confronting because clearly... I'm podcasting, so I like to talk my way out of things. Um, and so thank you for sharing that, that you were initially afraid because yeah. I think that, that, that allows all of us um, that maybe don't have that natural, what Perry had, yeah. to come forward. And because I know that, that in the story, you know, I was saying about Emily, the little girl, and then um, Ellie, the horse, you know, Ellie's the one who who the story is really kind of traveling down. So you as a little girl, though, mm. were afraid of horses. Were you afraid of other things, too? And what was your kind of experience with worry or anxiety? Or Yeah. Well, I've, um, I guess my real standout experience was, um, was standing out. Um, <laughs> and that would provoke a bit of anxiety for me. So um, I was just uh, like I was a pretty small child, um, relatively nerdy. And standing out made me feel really unsafe and and um yeah so i remember a time when i had practiced and practiced and i was obsessed with my trumpet and playing and i loved it and this um anzac day my grandfather who's a war veteran was coming to watch and i was like oh my goodness this is so exciting he's coming to watch i practiced like incessantly for hours and hours and hours every day building up so there were four of us playing together and i would do the big crescendo in the in the last post and i was like really pumped and and we get there and there's a whole crowd of people and our teacher has us all and yeah we practice morning noon and night and we're all lined up there and while we were playing together 
it was great. And then all of a sudden I had to go into this solo and I did. And then something happened in my body, which was just, it was so scary for me as a child. I was in grade four or five at the time and uh, my whole body started trembling and it felt like there was something that just stopped stopped my throat and my breath moving and my lips were quivering so here I am doing this crescendo and it was like incredibly mournful because it was like Ooh, in, in the so most people thought I did that deliberately but for me I just you know was really kind of stuck in that moment and um and noticed that when the others came back in after I'd finished that kind of more solo piece that I felt this real calming come back into my body um, I still felt humiliated and said, I will never, ever do this again. And it took me quite some time just to pick up my trumpet. And, you know, I analysed it thinking, God, did I not practice enough? Am I not good enough to be standing up here? What on earth happened? And, you know, I, I couldn't, I didn't understand it. I couldn't process it. And it, what that did for me at the time, which I know now, is it positively reinforced for me that standing out was scary yeah got it and yeah. maybe you should reconsider and not do it yeah yeah wow and how okay so i'm totally curious about that story because i think we all were transported there and i think a lot of people have different moments a moment where we made a decision yeah and it led to certain things so how long did it take you to really understand what happened there and to start to shift that yeah I, it, look it took me a little while I, I still played my trumpet and and I practiced always on my own out the back so as if that wouldn't make attention so I kind of didn't <laughs> <laughs> in the in the backyard and then um yeah so it, it actually took me a while as I grew and I noticed that these things were happening in my body I would just try to kind of curiously it, um understand what was happening and so I would I would try to fight it at, at first and you know I would think about it and try to fight it and then I just decided that I've, I had to look at it in a different way and I was in my very um, early career like super super early um, 20s and uh, I had to do a speech and I was like oh god <laughs> and uh, I, I was was kind of, I just said yes at the time when they said, you know, we have this situation, there's 400 people, we really wanted, to, we want somebody to go in and uh, for whatever reason they wanted a female to go in and, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. And then when it came to the day, I was like, what was I thinking? Um, I can't do it. And all my stomach was in a knot and I felt really nauseous. And then I thought, do you know what? I'm not going to put the attention on me. You know how people say, oh, imagine somebody's naked or, or something. I couldn't do that because that's kind of a little creepy for me. But, uh, <laughs> but I thought what I need to do is get people to take their attention off me mm. in order to hear me and in order for me to be relaxed. And so I started this thing and I don't even know where it came from, but I asked everybody to imagine, close their eyes and imagine that they were making a cocktail. And there was a lesson in the making the cocktail. So um, in the, you know, what is it, putting all the ingredients in, what does it taste like? And then making another cocktail now and put the ingredients in, then put something that shouldn't be in there. And what does that taste like? 
And then we kind of went into the, the, the whole talk, which was really about what information you put in is what you get out. So it was a, a talk around systems and things like that. Very clever. But, but what I learned in that experience is that, you know, I'm naturally a pretty playful person. And I thought, you know, I've got nothing to lose to bring a new approach. If I had said that to other people, they would have said, no way, you can't do that with that audience. And so I just kind of, in that moment, backed myself and said, I'm just going to give this a try and see if that helps me to be more present and more calm. And it really changed how I, how I um, presented and it, and it really changed the outcome. So that was really that first point to say, I can take charge of this. I don't have to be driven by this feeling. And I got curious and I just wanted to learn more and more and more. So. Yeah, cool. I love that. Thank you for sharing so specifically. I love, I really appreciate that because I think when you were explaining your instrument story, I automatically was sort of translating it into speaking in front. Yeah. Of a group. And then I'm also, you know, as a mom and I hope moms are listening because yeah. As a mom, I'm noticing my daughter, and I see kids doing this all the time. There's such freedom around music when they dance. They're just like so free. And I, I kind of observe her when other people come around. Does she shift? What is that? Because she's like a performer in a way that I think, oh, I, I've got too much going on for myself to allow myself to do that. Too self-conscious. Whereas yeah. I find she's really free. And yeah. so what is anxiety really? And like, how does it manifest in kids? And why do some of them take this? I believe they start like you with that music and loving it and passionate, mm. almost not second guessing. Yeah. What yeah. is it? Is it an event? Is it a, th what is anxiety? <laughs> it's, a, it's a combination of things and there's no kind of, it, there's no way to specifically pinpoint it Sometimes you can pinpoint it as a result of a specific event, like a traumatic experience or something like that. Mm -hmm. But generally, it's it's a blend of things. It's a blend initially of what our um, life events have been around our experiences. But it's importantly, it's about how we're perceiving, um, whether we're a tiny child uh, before we're even aware of that. Um, it, it's how how we perceive through our senses. And then that sends the messages to, first of all, the emotion part of our brain, which determines our emotion. And our emotion actually will then go to the thinking part of our brain. So if, if we're perceiving in that perception, like something that might be perceiving as dangerous or, um, and then it will very quickly happen. And it all happens in milliseconds, like absolutely absolute milliseconds that it'll go to your emotion to your thoughts and then your behavior will reflect and it's very automatic so um we're not always aware of it you know i I'm, i was so surprised when i learned that only only about 15 percent of what we do are we aware of and and the rest we're actually not consciously aware of that until we make really deliberate effort to start to be aware so and for children it's, it's way more distressing because children don't understand the feelings and the sensations that are happening in their body and, and what, what's causing that. And, you know, it, sometimes what can elevate anxiety is the response of people around them. So mm -hmm. if I were anxious as a child, I would go internal. My sister 
as a child, she would be full of beans, like just she would couldn't concentrate. She was like always moving. And so, you know, I, I would be getting speak up and then my sister would be getting sit down, be quiet. <laughs> and all of that has a, an impact on your response and also how people respond with you. Mm. So one of the things that I notice a lot is, you know, if, if, um, if, uh, if in my my experience, you know, as the tension increased in my family, so, you know, if, if my parents argued and, you know, it's a natural part of, of living, but if they argued and were shouting, um, that straight away my anxiety would go whoop, straight up. And then my, my would, um, I guess, behaviour response was go internal and uh, just find somewhere so you're not being seen or heard. <laughs> And, uh, but my sister, she'd be like running around, running around and things like that. And, and, and so it's, it's getting back to what causes anxiety. It's at multiple factors. It is driven by how we perceive. It is driven by life events. And sometimes it's driven by the chemical responses in our body. So mm -hmm. sometimes we might be prone to be... So, so my sister and I, we come from the same parents, you know, she, she was more prone to being hyperactive where I was much more prone to being hyperactive. So um, less, so just, yeah, come away from the situation. So, yeah. So glad you're giving these examples because that's when you talked about, um, when we initially were talking about having this conversation, I, I was thinking, you know, I think it manifests itself in different ways in different people. So your sister, that comparison is so beautiful. Yeah. Because I, even to this day, when I'm nervous, I go over. Like yeah. I, um, <laughs> my thing too is I almost act like too cool. Like I'm, 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 I've got yeah. this. I'm all together, like almost too much. And I think sometimes it's like society responds differently. It's almost like some responses are more acceptable than others and that would reflect back on it like oh well i won't really deal with that because mm. society thinks that's okay but i know in me i'm not me like you said i'm not really present yeah and that's so important for you to raise that about it is the society and the judgment and even in our own examples everybody thought i was the good child i was the terrified child <laughs> and and everybody thought that you know my sister was belligerent you know the 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 naughty girl, she just wouldn't listen, wouldn't sit down. She couldn't listen. She couldn't sit down. She didn't know what was happening in her body and nobody knew how to help her in, in the right way. So the, the stigma that goes to that really can affect children's experiences, but most importantly, it can affect how the children feel about themselves and then what they engage in and their whole life outcomes. You know, my sister, she she didn't school was not not something that she could settle into so that was problematic um but for me school i could be nerdy i could be internal it, it was fantastic yes so it, it, it's, just, it's such a good thing you're saying there because you know how we judge for example um there's a lot of compare or um, generalization sorry about boys um, needing to move all the time and rambunctious and you think about this one learning style yeah. you know, sitting in a classroom on a chair um, and I know this is coming out a lot more now that you know yeah. that doesn't actually reflect intelligence but yeah. again I think 
it can affect future outcomes. Absolutely. Which I love that you're bringing up. So we have to get to this book and this mantra, this to me, it evokes a visual, um, in the book, you can see that it's a running theme, which I think for kids is amazing. Um, and I'm going to read it. Um, and it's something that Emily, the little girl, says to her horse. She says, this is what I do. And you'll remember better, but that's just, mm. I'm just going to show everyone who's watching on YouTube. Here's the beautiful front cover of, again, Jordan, my daughter, wanted to know who's Ellie. And we thought it was a little girl. And it's not. You have to read it to find out. Um, but she says, you know, I stand very tall. I feel my feet on the floor. I breathe nice and slow. I extend my limbs and I look up to the sky. Mm. And it's funny. I'm reading it and I'm doing it. I can't help it. My, my feet untucked each other. They went on the ground. I, mm. My breathing, you know, and I put my arms up, you know, I extend it up. And so yeah. what makes this statement so powerful, Michelle? And like, mm. you know, especially for kids experiencing anxiety. It's really powerful because it's a way that the children can take actions and they will feel the physical response in their body, which will make their body much calmer. So the actions really come from the evidence, the empirical evidence. So the, 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 the breath, there is oodles of evidence on how the breath can, um, can lower our autonomic nervous system response. So when we go into that, um, feeling afraid we're in fight or flight mode so um, even if we're internalizing we're still in fight or flight mode um, and and so the breath actually tells our body hey it's okay when we feel our feet on the floor the feeling brings us back into our body but the key of imagining that I'm a sunflower allows the brain to toggle out of fear and to ignite imagination so that the children are thinking about sunflowers and and who doesn't feel happy when you think about a sunflower really um you know the colors the brightness the all, all of that is very important in the imagination extending your limbs is really to open up this this kind of part of the body the the chest area because when we're afraid sometimes our natural response is to come forward and to to um close in and that blocks our polynavel, our polyvagal nerve. And so by extending our limbs, we're also kind of allowing our body to feel safe. As an organism, the body feels much safer. And looking up to the sky just kind of makes you feel great. Like while you're extending your limbs, feeling your feet on the floor and imagining. Now, when children do that, just for, just for like a minute or two minutes, it just completely brings down their autonomic nervous system and they come into a much calmer state. So I wow. really like to like to do it with children because it's when you do it with children that you actually physically see the difference. Right. And children of all kinds of ability can relate. And even children that, that um, I work with that, that have you know, aren't able to do those movements, they can imagine that they're doing those movements and it has the same effect. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. Cool. yeah. I'm so glad you said the sunflower thing because I didn't even mention that part, did I? I just like launched right into that mantra because in my mind, I knew that I was visualizing it. So yeah, I've got so many thoughts about this. So I want to touch on two. Um, I want to touch on my daughter doing yoga because I want to say something oh, about yeah. what you're doing here. Yeah. But second, my, this was, this is, 
this show has just shifted from being called the Nat and Sarah show to being called in the game podcast. And so mm-hmm. Nat, the other half of this show, yeah. Yeah. all about superhero pose. And the reason that she's into <laughs> it is not because of Amy Kitty, Amy Cuddy's Ted talk that was like the most watchable yeah. talk, but hers yeah. is more because that's what she used to mm-hmm. perform in sport when she felt like you said, her limbs bending forward when she felt that inside of herself, she couldn't do it. It was her way of igniting her imagination. Yeah. And she's gone on to speak about that to so yeah. many people who often think it's a concept, you know, they think, Oh, that's really great for you. And she's like, no, no, like stand up. We're doing this, you know, and really showing yeah. people yeah. the value of, of getting in those postures. And so for kids, yeah. To be able to experience this young, my daughter. So what I was going to share was that my daughter doing yoga, there's some like this one child and my daughter, even by the end was doing the same thing, getting quite like um, jittery yeah. in the class. And yeah. when it comes to the last five minutes where they all lay down in their version of Shavasana, um, firstly, it's their, all their favorite pose. I think that's really interesting. They all start cheering. I, I go, wow, even yeah. they feel their body on the ground. They start to change their breathing. She does a little bit of like massage on their feet. And it's my daughter's favorite part. Yeah. And to watch these children, they completely shift. It's, un, it's actually unbelievable. So mm-hmm. I can imagine what this is creating for people as well, for kids. Yeah. yeah. So that was a long diatribe, but you got me excited about that part. Um, yeah. <laughs> about the evidence. The evidence. So you don't label people. Why did you choose Ellie as the one, the focal point, not Emily, let's say the owner of the horse? I think it was, it came really naturally um, in, in a, a, I just felt like it was a really nice way for, for children to relate. Yeah. Yeah. There's no judgment on, on the horse or, yeah. I thought, yeah, I quite, I thought it was really cool that you did that because I felt that the, there was an obvious kind of way that it was going to go. You chose another way. And the, that for me was, um, non-threatening because it was just like an animal. And so I thought that was really beautiful. Um, and look, I mean, I, you've given us some beautiful descriptions of how you've dealt with your own angst from growing up. Um, Mm. What do you hope for kids who perhaps just took out their trumpet or horn or were doing some sort of performance and something happened? What's your hope that this book in their hands might provide for them? Yeah, I hope that it will provide them with the confidence to be who they are and to know that they can take charge of those feelings. That That's really most important because as a child you often don't know and and somebody might label that but then that has its own implications and they're not always positive implications but certainly for a child to learn from that book they can be who they want to be they can do what they want to do and they can do that with confidence and in charge of the feelings in their body yeah beautiful so just to pull this all full circle because your story is so interesting because you were very successful in the corporate structure and like you you you've said a couple of times being nerdy i think schooling and like education was something that you have a lot in you 
and you said, you know what, there's more, I can make a bigger difference. How is what you're doing now fulfilling on that for you? Oh, in so many fabulous ways. I, for me, um, doing all my corporate work and, and like my, the way that I was being through school and through my corporate life was how I survived. You know, it gave me um, results, it gave me great opportunity to really be able to have a, a good life and be independent and assured that, that um, yeah, that I, I could do things for myself, really. Um, what, when I made that decision that something was missing, I knew, I knew it deep inside that something was really missing. And when I had really found that and I thought, oh my goodness, this, there is such an opportunity to make a bigger difference. And that's kind of taking, you know, the wisdom that I've learned uh, over, over the years, but, but the evidence and then, you know, I have quite a bit of playfulness about me. And I, I think that kind of led to some of my success in the way that I worked with people because it's different. And it, it, it is, and people don't expect it. They think I'm such a serious person that when we get playful, they're like, what? And, uh, and actually that's quite fun in itself. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I learned to take all of my wisdom and those skills and the research and, and really looked at what, what has worked to apply them. And that's, that's where I really feel is where the big impact can come. Because the more we stop labeling and the more we start being able to give um, people ways to be who they are and you know to 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 for people to be able to give the, themselves permission to just be who they are and not care about what other people think um and and be judged and and, and things then our whole communities will be safer they'll be happier they'll be uh, a, a lot more productive and a lot more positive to be in yeah. So that was going to be my last question, but I'm sorry. I got one more. Um, yeah. Because when you brought up being playful, how it surprises people, I have to come back. Before you ever had that moment of angst, yeah. do you remember having a dream for your life as a little girl? Like what, what kind of things were you into? What was your way of being? Who was Michelle as a little girl? Uh, I was a lot of things. You know, I, I would vary at different times. But um, interestingly, um, um, teaching and developing seems to be the common theme um, in my life. You know, one of my first work experiences was in a um, school for, uh, for children um, with uh, special needs, and I loved it. And I was, I was only young, and I really loved it. And, you know, life circumstances, I didn't actually have the opportunity to to pursue that and I look now and it's almost like your life comes full circle because they're exactly the people that that I love working with and and yeah that that I've, I've written the book for and that I create other resources for so yeah thank you because I wanted to ask because I really feel that we have this thread in us and we find our way back you know it's like this honesty this um our dreams are always possible when we're yeah. young and somehow all these twists and turns, yeah, we, we, we find our way there again. And so I, that's, I yeah. just feel really like blessed to talk to people like you, share yeah. that with people. Because I think some people are just at different curves, you know, in their little. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think one of the things is always believing that, that you can do it. 
You know, there's always a lot of people around you that go, that'll never happen. And just keeping that belief that, you know, that, that, you know, you're here with a gift. What is that gift and how are you going to use it? So, hmm. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you for representing that exact statement. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We so appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community on Facebook by searching In The Game Podcast. There you can download your three-step journal and participate in our weekly live video chats. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So... Open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to... Put your fingers on the keys and send us a review.